0: All right, I get a little teary. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm going to be a mess later when we're in a pool together. <laughs> uh, it'll be, it splashes, it's not tears in the pool, <laughs> just so everyone knows. Um, we, uh, we do partner, we believe in church planning here at Hope to the point we have uh, been a part of nine, ten, 10, and, and many other uh, granddaughter churches, grandson churches. Um, and so these are two organizations we partner with, Converge and X 29, Uh, to help some, some, we actually give a part of our budget to them to help churches be planted. We train, we actually just had a church planter in residence, Paul, who many of you have met. He's come and preached here. He, uh, just got assessed through Acts 29 so we can prepare him and get him ready to plant another church, um, here in the Twin Cities and around the world. Uh, just in the last few months, we've seen multiple churches planted, uh, in Kenya, I think in Singapore, all over the world, uh. Uh, that we've got to be a part of, which is exciting that we get to see uh, bodies of Christ started in uh, all over the world. And also we get to see individual lives change all over the world. And so this great commission that we call it from the end of Matthew, that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven uh, is really important. It really is our commissioning, our this command to go out. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations says, I have the authority, and I want you to go. As you go through your life, I want you to make disciples of all nations. And when you do, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Many years ago, I studied this with a group of middle school kids, and um, there was an audible sigh at the end of this. A kid went, oh, good, he's going to be with us. As he read this, he thought... I don't think I can do this. This sounds like a big job. And he went, "Oh, I remember that every time I read this passage, Jesus is with us. He's he's bringing us with him on this journey." As we as we read in Ephesians recently, where we get to to join him in his plan. And so, Hope's mission. If you go to our website, this is the first thing you see in big bold letters: is our mission. This is why we exist. This is why we're here: is honoring God by helping as many people as possible become fully devoted followers. Of Jesus Christ. We want to see people go from not knowing Jesus to knowing him, to obeying him and following him. That's what we're going to ask people today in the pool. We're going to say, do you believe Jesus? You trust him that he's the one, he's the savior who's rescued you. That's, that's why you have forgiveness of sins. And do you want to follow him? And so we believe this is our call ultimately, to do this, to bring light into the world so people can know the one who brings hope. We do that lots of ways, church planting. We do that in lots of ways in our church, from small groups to encouraging people. We do that by reaching into our community, by serving and caring and helping people. One of the ways we do that is we get to see other people around the world that we've sent out. That's on a little plug for our monthly mission meeting. Every uh, last Thursday of the month, we gather on Zoom with missionaries and church planters all over the world from Hope. It's our brothers and sisters from our own church who are all over, and we get to hear what God's doing. We get to pray with them and encourage them. I encourage you to hop on there. It's one of my highlights of my month. Um, there's a link to that in our weekly update if you're interested in doing that with us. Um, but another way just to see God doing this mission that really all of our, everything we do is, is for. So this brings us to our passage today. We're in Ephesians. We only have a couple weeks left in Ephesians. Um, we're finishing this section today. And then next week we can talk about the armor of God. So if you, have a, if you have a plastic armor set that you wore as a kid, bring it next week. That's the week to bring your armor of God outfit. Um, I think we have someone who dresses as a superhero most weeks. I bet he'll have one. Um, he might be this short, but... So so what is our mission? Right, Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission, maybe another way we like to say is we want to see lives changed. Not just lives changed, like we don't want to just see Sometimes if you hear that phrase, it's, we want to see like you have a better, happier life. We want to see people like change, change. Scripture says they become new creations. Their heart changes. It goes from hardened to alive. We hear all these phrases in Scripture. And we've been using some phrase um, from Larry Crabb uh, that's maybe helped us frame this. The book of Ephesians has given us a bunch of chapters that has said how you've changed, what God has done to change you that you're a different person, that you've gone from death to life, that you've gone from a future that's destruction to a future of building and a future of eternity and hope, moving from just following the cravings of my flesh that often change, just following what I feel or what I'm told by others to a future of purpose, joining God, the creator of the universe in his mission. It's changed you from someone who was unloved to loved. Someone adopted into a family from orphans to being welcomed in as sons and daughters. It says it changed us to be made whole. We're approved. We're secure. We're empowered by the spirit. Ephesians has encouraged and reminded us of who we are. And if we are those changed people, now what is life? look like and so Larry Crabb calls it the core of what we all want and need the thing we're looking to fill is ultimately safety and significance is a place to know I'm protected also know that I have safety in a future and then to know that I'm significant that I am approved of and that I am have have a purpose as I go move into my future that I have a hope That's what the gospel does for us. It reminds us that you're safe even when maybe around you or physically you feel unsafe. In Christ, you know you're safe forever. We know we have a future and we know that we're significant. God loves us so much, even in our sin, that he would come and die on a cross so that we could be family. And he makes our purpose so much greater than anything we could muster up around us. The gospel in Ephesians reminds us that our sin is never too big for God to forgive. It reminds us that we are, we are um, uh, much, much more loved than we thought. and in, in fact, that I still think that, that I'm more loved than I can even imagine. That you're a much, much greater sinner than you ever thought you were. And there's much, much more grace than we ever thought there was. It's just really foundational good news. It's a book of the Bible that I often have to read when I'm having one of those days where it's really hard to remember or believe or, or these things are not in me. And I say, I am scared. And I don't know why I'm here. And then I can read Ephesians. You don't have to read very far and be reminded of this. So Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, it says that it wants, to, Paul prays that we be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what what it's telling us and reminding us. And so we get filled to all the fullness of God. And then it tells us we're sent out. That we don't just get filled with this and then we sit and like enjoy it. Maybe we get some other friends who who have followed Jesus and say, let's just hang out and enjoy this. And then someday he'll come back. But it sends us out. In fact, it starts using the phrase halfway through that we need to walk in love. It starts just using a phrase that we're filled and then we need to start taking steps and so we're actually walking, which, which fits right into our Great Commission. As we go, we're filled with this. We get to bring this good news to others. And not just good news maybe to far-off lands that we have to fly in a plane, or not just good news to parts of town that you don't normally go to, or not just good news to people you don't normally talk to, but this good news goes with you everywhere to everyone we talk to. This is our hope, that every week we get to gather and be reminded of that, and we get to be people who walk in love. Not not just any love, but the love of Christ that has filled us, has saved us, has rescued us, has brought us life from death. We were dead and we were made alive. And now we get to go in that life to do that. And we get to do that and bring that to others. And so our passage today is towards the end of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 6. It's the last chapter. And we've been talking about what it looks like in relationships. Those are things that we walk into and people that we're walking around and with and towards and sometimes people like to chase after in order to love well. We get to bring this love of Christ. You get to bring the news, the good news of Ephesians, of the gospel to people who are dead, who are looking for life. People who are just running after whatever the recent craving is and say, you know, there's a bigger purpose than that. People who are feeling very unloved, who are looking for love all over in people and in things and say, do you know that your love more than any of those things could give you are looking for family and say, you know, there's a family that will never leave that's with you a father that is good and loves you. And is perfect. We get to bring that with us. So as we look at relationships, I think in my own life, at least relationships can go a few different ways, Sometimes relationships can just be a place for me to use people. It's, it's like a currency. I use you for something, and then often that relationship can kind of get cast away. Maybe you've felt this, that you've been used in a relationship. Maybe I use a person to build my own significance, or that person's just here for my own safety. Or maybe I have been used for someone else to build up their significance or their safety. Maybe we see ourselves as more valuable than a person, and we like to have that person with us because it makes us look better. Or maybe we feel like the less valuable person that's just being used. In a lot of relationships, all those dynamics are going on at the same time, right? We see value in people, lesser or more. We use people or get used. This is what's incredible. The gospel changes that, and in Ephesians six today we're going to see the gospel changes the good news of jesus changing people changes your relationships and these are some pretty radical very different than the culture around them relationships they aren't just something to be used to get what they want they're not something to show you have more value or less value they're not something to get control over or or to get your fix in the way you you, you treat someone these relationships change our whole purpose with one another. Jesus, who is love, walks into our lives, fills us, changes us, and then we get to walk with that new love as we encounter others. It changes all of our relationships. And so that's what we're going to move into today. In Galatians, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so we get to clothe ourselves Put on We talked about this in another week. We think, kind of put on our Jesus jacket and we get to walk into people's lives, not just be, oh, under our power, but under now the power of the Spirit. So last week we looked at uh, the relationship of a husband and wife, how that images, that shows the image of the gospel. It shows the image of the church and of Jesus, this incredible love as a husband loves his wife, is willing to give his life for his wife. It shows a picture to those around him. As a wife looks to submit and serve her husband, it looks like the church It's this incredible picture. And today we get to look at two more relationships. A parent and a child and a servant and a master. And how those relationships are changed in the gospel. How we see a picture here in marriage of the gospel and how that will be shown off in these other relationships. We heard from Lynn Kohik last week, but I think this is helpful to hear again as we walk into this. Indeed, Paul's revolutionary insight is that if the believer's life is hid in Christ— If our life is in Christ, the believer died in Christ and is raised to new life. It's good baptism language. Then submitting to one another, submitting to another believer was merely submitting to Christ himself. We're going to see this language a lot today. This idea that as we submit to Christ, it will cause us to submit and serve those around us. To even see ourselves not as better than anyone else around us or less than anyone else around us, but this equality in relationship, that it changes. She's trying to encourage us. If we actually turn, repent, put our faith in Christ, it changes us. And so first we're gonna look at the relationship of a child and a parent. Here we go. Ephesians 6, uh, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a dad somewhere who just whispered, We should have kept our kids in church today. (laughs) (laughs) Obey your parents, kids. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's giving two people that are in a relationship. This is, again, uh, last week we talked a little bit. These are household codes. So there would have been codes in that time that would have been written to explain how people interacted in homes typically those codes would have been written really to the person that had authority, which would have been a husband and a father. It would have been a master over a slave. And this one's interesting. They all lead with a person who typically wasn't seen as having much as much value or any value or the person who didn't, didn't have the honor in their relationship. And so this one speaks actually to children and it says, you should obey your parents because it'll go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I'm sure many of you have yelled this at your kid: "Obey, it will go well with you in the land." Right? At least as a parent, I do say, I, "I'm trying. To, I want you to like be alive, <laughs> at least, right?" Maybe you've had a situation if you've been a parent where you're like, "I just, I just want you to be like safe or healthy." I, obviously, sometimes it's, "I just want you to be quiet or not bother me." <laughs> We're not to the parents yet, though. This is an opportunity where. Paul is encouraging children to say, hey, there's a reason why you want to obey that person, that parent, that you want to serve them and submit to them. The gospel will change you to where you you understand and believe that this person has your best and that you will live long and you will prosper in a land. This this is just quoting the Old Testament. It's saying that when it says this is the first commandment of the promise, this is like the, you think of the Ten Commandments, this is one of the first commandments, is you need to honor your father and your mother. So we have a child here who's who's been encouraged that life comes from obeying a parent. And then it goes to the father. And the father is given an interesting command here as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This might feel a little bit familiar if you are here last week with our passage on husbands and wives. It doesn't say, fathers, you tell your kids what to do and you have the right to tell them whatever. This even culturally at the time, fathers might not have been real involved. Like we, we really even um, hold this up now culturally around. At least we, we say we do, that fathers should be involved in kids' lives and, and dads around it. I remember someone being— uh, I asked someone if they were watching their kids once, and they're like, I'm not watching my kids, I'm, I'm their dad, I'm just with my kids, right? There's, a, there's really an honor, there's a respect about like, being a parent who's with their kid. And it wasn't exactly the same. It would have been kids maybe were cared for, and, and, and moms hung out with kids. And so this is interesting, that, that they want a father to not provoke their kid to anger. They don't want, they don't want you to make your kid uh, feel unloved. There's a grace here that is supposed to be given to their kids. So the gospel changes you as a parent, changes you as a kid, and now you serve one another. It's actually a, almost a submission to you're not here to provoke your kid. You're not here. You, almost, you shouldn't be getting pleasure out of making your kid angry. You're here actually in a way ultimately to point your kid to the Lord. Uh, there's there's a, a grace here that should overflow as you're filled with grace overflow. I, there's a helpful list that's it been helpful for me and other parents have kind of put together. I'm just thinking through what does it look like to be a parent that parents with law or with grace? One that's filled with grace or one that, that parents the law. We've talked about law a lot here at Hope. Um, but just having like rules that you have to obey or you don't get stuff. Or grace that's a free gift. And so in a, in a household that's ruled by law, there might be rules that take priority. Or in a household that's ruled by grace, relationships take priority. Or control takes priority. Or maybe influence over your child. Are you just trying to control them? Or are you trying to influence them and actually change a heart? Is fear run your house? Or is faith the motivator in your house? Uh, fear, fear often is a quicker, right, way? If you're a parent or you're hanging out with kids, you can scare them into doing something. That's why often in the last second, we say like, don't do that or this thing is gone forever. I grew up sometimes in my house that all of my toys are gonna get thrown away, which I knew was for sure wasn't gonna happen. But it was the last resort of like, all your toys are gonna get thrown away. And I was like, yeah, right. Throw all my toys away that you spent a lot of money on. There's no way, dad. Good try. I met a parent once who said, I keep trying to ground my high schooler and say you're gonna be grounded for the rest of your life. And they keep saying, there's no way you're going to do that. And you're like, well, that, because there's no way you're going to grow up for the rest of your life. You wouldn't even want to hang out with them all that much. Um, Or what about like in your house, are people working for love in your house? Is love not shown or care or grace until they perform? Or do we work out of love? Are we loved because we're a child or are we loved because we did things that made mom and dad happy? This one gets me. Um, someone asked me once, like, are you, are you trying to be God in your house or are you working with God in your house? I was like, oh, I for sure some days want my kid to treat me as if I was God. Um, and in law, it's, it's all about you. My household is about me and getting what I want and, and using my family to get what I want, or is it about Christ and us all serving Christ together? These are helpful to think about, maybe assess a little bit what a house looks like. And it doesn't even be, maybe you're just thinking little kids, just in general, your family, right? How does your family work? This sometimes is helpful to think even your family of origin, how you grew up, what motivated you? Is it the grace uh, of Jesus that changed you? And so that grace now is your motivator or is it law? We, We go back to law a lot. So the discussion moves to another relationship. It goes from parent and child to a second relationship. This relationship is interesting because culturally we, we, we're going down even less, what would be valued as less valuable people. People aren't even seen necessarily as fully people. And so we go to a servant. Or in some translations it says slave here. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of an eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bond servant or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there's no partiality with him. Partiality, also favoritism in some translations. I think that word for me has been more helpful. So now we have a passage that's saying, ready for this? It's saying, servants or slaves, you need to serve your masters. The word masters here is actually a similar word that we use for Lord. So you need to obey, you need to serve them. And why? It even says a lot of like fullness of your heart. Serve them. Why? Because you're actually serving Christ and serving them. Well, that doesn't seem like that's very encouraging to someone who would be a servant. Now, to understand culturally, a servant would not have been the same maybe as you first think of. Or if, we, if you see the word slave in your translation, you might think, whoa, that seems really strong. It, at this time, at least, these servants wouldn't have been exactly the same. There would have been a range of why someone would be a servant to someone. They could have been captured uh, and been made to be a servant. They could have uh, been a servant because they actually owed someone a debt. And so they just went, this is how they paid off their debt. So that person, you could have even been born into being a servant. Even servants could have had their own servants. Servants could have been all different walks of life. There were doctors and there were scientists There's all sorts of servants in all different categories that were serving people in the community, but they had someone who was their master. Often their their whole life also wasn't as a servant. They even would work off the debt they had. Servants weren't typically servants because of their race or even necessarily their ethnicity. So when we think of servant, we often think of slavery in America, right, which was based on race. They're often put in terrible conditions They were looked to as as less than human. And so in these situations, this may be a broader category of servant, but in the end, generally, they were thought of as less than and masters were thought of as more than. They still didn't have the rights of a lot of people. They would have been thought of as the lowest culturally. And so for Paul to speak to them at all would be pretty scandalous. Just say even like, I'm going to even address these people and say like, you don't need to talk to the servants. Just tell their masters what they need to do. They'll tell them. And here he's saying, that the gospel has changed you, you're always serving Christ. And so I'm going to call you to be people who work hard and serve their master or Lord well. If we ended there, this would be... Uh, I think a bit of a heartbreaking passage. In fact, there's a moment in history where that happened. There's a moment uh, in right before the Civil War, there was a group of people who were having a debate. So there's a group of pastors actually, who were meeting um, reverends, and there was a pro-slavery reverend who was speaking uh, on why he thought scripture supported that there should be slavery. And then there was a abolitionist pastor who was there and he was speaking on why you think scripture says we shouldn't treat people this way or see people this way. So at this public gathering, they were both sharing and the pastor who was pro slavery actually shared this passage. He said, it says right in Ephesians six, everybody, slaves should obey their masters. They should serve them well. So go home and tell your slaves, the Lord wants them to obey them well. And he actually encouraged them with some pretty harsh language, and some harsh uh, activities to do and some really hurtful things to do if they choose not to obey, then the Lord wants to bring his wrath down on them. And so he read this passage up through verse eight. And the other, they said, what do you think? And the other pastor said, I think you should keep reading. So they did. No, they didn't. And that'd be a cool story, right? It was like, and that was Abraham Lincoln and it changed the world. (laughs) But he said, keep reading. And I think it's really important for us to keep reading. So they read, right? He said, let me just read the next verse to everyone. Masters do the same to them. Do you hear what that said? He's telling people in a place where they said, these people aren't even human fully. I can look down on them. I can just use them to, to get what I need And then even to the point of God says this is okay to treat people this way. And now he's saying, read one more verse. And it says, masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both your master and their master. is like someone else is actually the Lord of all of you. And he's in heaven. And there's no favoritism. He just said, you thought you were like this. And I just squished it together. You're actually all even at the foot of the cross. I think the gospel calls us to keep reading, to see the whole story. And it's saying that Ephesians tells us how we've been changed, and how we have a purpose, and it tells us how to have relationships with each other, and it tells us that that, that we're all sinners, deeply sinful, and we have an incredible ocean of grace that washes over all of us. It's changing that. Can you imagine if that really happens? That relationship? A person goes home and says, I actually am wrong. Christ has changed me. I, I'm going to serve you. Let's serve. Let's see you can outserve one another. Client uh, Snodgrass um, says it this way. Every thought of privilege evaporates before Christ. Isn't that a great image? Have you ever thought you were a little better it's gone. It, it floats away. You realize what a deep sinner you are and you realize what an incredibly loved person you are all in one moment. And then we actually start bearing the image of Christ. We become called to Christ and we joyfully serve him in all that we do. And so as Paul writes these about these relationships, one of the things I think it's helpful for us to understand is he's saying, I want you to rethink how you interact with everyone around you because you're serving me now. And so all those interactions are different and he calls us to this mission of making disciples of people. Our mission now is not for people to be used by us, but for us to help them know the good news of Christ. And so this, this sounds great, right? It sounds like let's go home now and be grace-based parenters and let's be grace-based children and let's go home and, and serve well. Let's go to work and serve our Bosses well, or let's be really good bosses who serve people well. Uh, But I don't, uh, I don't do that very well. We're going to fail. We're going to be disobedient kids, thinking we know best, that we've got everything under control, that we want the control. We're going to be fear-based parents. We're going to be exhausted and impatient and angry. I'm just going to be selfish at times. I'm just going to want you to do this thing so that you don't bother me. I'm going to be a really poor worker. I'm not, I'm not going to want to serve those around me. I'm going to forget that I'm serving Christ. I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to do just enough. I'm going to do the least to get by. Or we're just going to be heavy-handed or view all of those around us as people serving us as I was once called by a first grader, you're going to be a bossy boss. We're going to be bossy bosses. And in a way, this is good news, friends. Because if our goal was to read Ephesians 6 and then say, go go get them, be better. Be nice to people. Don't be racist. And don't be a bad parent. And like, everything will be cool. If that was the end, we'd be in a lot of trouble. We are in a lot of trouble if that's the end. But you know that there's one who actually does this. There's actually one in Philippians two. It actually says all of this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's about to explain who Jesus is. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. As if His privilege evaporated. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. We have a God who became a servant. Was is up here and said, I'm gonna come down and serve you, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You remember right before he went on the cross? He's praying, he says, Father, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he says, But it's about your will and not mine. We have a Jesus who not only is a servant to us, but was an obedient child so that we could live long forever in the land. And then he raises from the dead and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in every tongue and knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Jesus comes as a child obeying the Father so that we could live forever and have life abundant and we could prosper in his obedience. God the Father comes and embraces us. You Remember the story of the prodigal son who runs away? eats with the pigs, and he comes back and he thinks, the father might not even welcome me back. Maybe I could be his servant. And the father embraces him and holds a party for him. We have a God who embraces us, lavishes love on us. We have a Jesus who serves us, willing to step down from heaven to rescue us, give his life for us. And we have Jesus who is a Lord. Who is a master who has ascended to heaven, who is seated at his throne, who will put an end to sin and Satan. He's righteous and true and loving and perfect. He's the least bossy of bosses. He's come to serve you and love you. He's the one master I want to serve and is worthy to serve. This is really good news because when we're not good at those things, when we fail at those things, it's an opportunity for us to turn back to Jesus, hold on to him and say, teach me, fill me, change my heart so that I could do these things. And today we get to see that. We're going to take, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to take some time just to worship this Jesus together, to be reminded of this good news that changes us, that changes relationships around you. So we're going to sing together. We're going to have an opportunity um, in the back of the room, there'll be people waiting. If you want prayer for anything, they'd love to pray for you. There's also communion outside the, the doors here. We can't have food or drink in here. So outside the doors are communion supplies. love for you to head out and be able to take communion. It's a symbol that Christ has died for you, that he went to the cross, that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that our bodies didn't have to be broken and shed, that he, that he paid the price for us so that we could have life and be called sons and daughters of God. Um, After we sing, we'll come up and I'll explain a little bit of why we do baptism. We're going to hear from from the people getting baptized and then we're going to get to go actually see them baptize this image that shows changed lives. First, we're going to sing together now. Let me pray for us uh, as we head into this time of worship. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your kindness towards us that you've made us alive, that you've taken us from death to life. And I pray you would change us and that would change how we interact with all those around us. Every person we meet. And that that would be an opportunity for us to share this good news. and That more people would know. More people would find the joy that comes in following you. More people would cling to you. Or that's, that's what we want to see. We thank you for lives that have been changed that we get to witness today. And um, I pray as we sing, these words would be true. And they would work in our hearts. He root out sin um, and bring life to us. We pray this in Your good name, Amen.